Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Focus Weekly Discipleship Podcast. My name is Kevin Rognes, and I am the Discipleship Director here at Faith Covenant Church, and I'm really excited to be with you all today. As always, I just want to encourage you to make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on any of the major podcasting platforms. I just want to make sure that you always get the weekly content on time and so that you can always um, be getting the resources that we're giving to you. So today, as you see, I'm alone and I'm really excited because we are currently in a season of Advent where we're preparing ourselves uh, to remember the birth of Christ and everything that that means to us. I could do several weeks worth of stuff about what Advent means, but today I want to focus on something a little bit simpler because there are just so many traditions that are part of the Christmas season. We have things like gift giving and like warm drinks and different symbols of Christmas, like Christmas trees and wreaths and garlands. There are so many things that go along with this season. One of those things, of course, is Christmas music. I'm sure we've all heard a lot of Christmas music, regardless of what you've, of if you've grown up in the church or not. And a lot of the Christmas music doesn't necessarily have to do with theology that we find in the Bible. We have a lot of songs about Santa Claus or walking in a winter wonderland or snow, jingle bells, things that kind of surround Christmas but aren't necessarily about uh, things that pertain to the Bible and Jesus. And I'm not saying that those things are bad, that those songs are bad, just that there's a lot of Christmas songs that kind of... Um, don't necessarily have to do with the message of Christ. We do, however, have a lot of Christ-focused Christmas songs, like Away in a Manger and uh, Silent Night. So many of these songs that are just so deeply ingrained in our traditions around Christmas. The interesting thing about that is, because they are such vibrant traditions, we sometimes don't stop to think about what these songs actually mean. What are these songs really saying? I know for me, sometimes I just have these songs so deeply memorized and just part of it that I just sing it without even really realizing what it's talking about. So I think it's a great idea around this Advent season, and we're gonna do this for a few weeks, to actually really dig into some of these Christmas songs to see what are these songs really saying? I think that music is often an important part of our discipleship because music is often how we express ourselves. It's how we express what God has done in Scripture, and it's how we express what God has done in our own lives. So music is always really important. Also, music is often a very important part of our worship gatherings during the Advent season. So let's dig into this and make sure we really understand what we're singing about when we sing some of these really popular Christmas carols that are just deeply embedded in our hearts. So there's a lot of, of course, amazing Christmas songs. Um, I'm just gonna talk about my personal favorite today, um, my favorite is the song, Oh Holy Night. If you know me, you know I love this song a lot. It's possibly my favorite song ever. Um, I, in fact, I, I appreciate it so much that a year or two ago, I wrote an entire long blog post 
um, that just delves into all the different renditions of Oh Holy Night and like gives my top list of my top 10 renditions. So I'm gonna include that just as little bonus content. It'll be in the description area. Um, you can get a link to that to read that if you so please. But I just really love this song. It's a beautiful song, it has a beautiful memory, uh, melody and beautiful lyrics. So I'm really excited about it. Just a little bit of background on it. The song started off as a popular French poem that was eventually set to music in 1847. So it was originally in, Fran in France and was originally actually a poem and not even um, musical. Later in 1855, it was translated and the melody was tweaked a little bit, um, translated then to English. And that's when it came, became really popular in the United States in particular. And when we look at verse three, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but verse three in particular of this song became very popular with people that were fighting for abolition. So the abolitionist movement in pre-Civil War United States that was working so tirelessly to eliminate the slave trade in the US, um, they really found a deep resonance with chapter three, and we'll look at that once we get there. It's a really difficult song to sing, which is maybe why we don't sing it super often in church, um, but it is a beautiful song when done really well, um, and that's part of why I like it. So what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna read through the lyrics. Um, I'm not gonna sing them because I'm not gonna put you through that, but I'm just gonna read through the lyrics and just give some of my observations and share a little bit of what is meaningful about this song for me. So. Let's dig into O Holy Night. So verse one starts off saying, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. And so what we see here is just kind of setting the scene. It's a clear, beautiful night, which we don't necessarily know from scripture, um, but it's okay to give some imagination to some of these things and fill in some of the blanks. Then it says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. So the world has for a long time just been in a difficult place. It's been a lot of sin and a lot of pining. So that's kind of another word for having a deep longing or a deep desire, um, expressing deep need. And to me, that reminds me of Romans 8, through 24, where Paul writes that the whole world is just groaning under the weight of sin. So that's kind of what I'm thinking of. So long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth. Oh, I love that line because it talks about how we find our worth in Christ. We find our identity in Christ. That is such a powerful image for me because I've often rooted my identity in other things and I've had to do a lot of work to remember, no, my identity is in Christ. That's where I find my worth. So then it says, uh, where am I? So till he appears and the soul felt its worth, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Now, whenever I see the word thrill, I often, often, automatic, often automatically think of roller coasters. I think of being up on the lift hill and just right at the top, there's this thrill of like, we're about to go down the big drop and my eyes get big and I take a deep breath and I just scream for excitement. It's just so much fun, I'm thrilled. That's what we're experiencing. We have a thrill from hope. 
we have this thrill that just makes our eyes go wide. We take a, take a deep breath and we just get excited because we finally have hope after all of this sin that's in the world, all of our pining for restoration and for something better. So why do we have this uh, thrill of hope? The next line of the song is, For yonder breaks a new and glorious morning, or a new and glorious morn, which is morning. <laughs> um, so a new day basically is coming. Um, there's That's a very biblical line. Um, it's, you know, there's a lot of lines throughout scripture that talk about how God's mercies are new every day, new every morning. And so then the next line is, Fall on your knees, oh, hear the angel voices. So all of this makes us respond in worship. So we fall to our knees and we hear and rejoice with the angels. And then the last couple lines of the verse um, are a little repetitive, um, but verse one ends with, O night divine, O night when Christ was born, O night, O holy night, O night divine. So in verse 1, what we're seeing is an expression of a world that is broken. Um, we have this broken world, and we're pining for something better. And suddenly, there's this thrill of hope when Jesus arrives on this holy divine night. So then verse 2. Verse 2 is a verse that not a lot of artists, when you hear Christmas albums, um, most artists don't do all three uh, verses. They either do verse 1 and verse 2, or more commonly, verse 1 and verse 3. So verse 2 may not be as familiar to everyone, but I love this verse as well. So verse 2 begins saying, Led by the light of faith serenely beaming, with glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. So this reminds me of the shepherds that Luke 2 talks about. These shepherds were out in their field, and suddenly there's a great light. Angels tell these shepherds that a Messiah is here. Go see this Messiah that has been born today. So these shepherds rush into Bethlehem, and they go worship at the manger at the feet of Jesus. Next couple lines say, So led by light of a star sweetly gleaming, here comes the wise men from Orient land. So this refers to the wise men that actually came probably a couple of years after the birth of Christ, but for poetic license reasons, it's kind of combined with this holy night. And so it just reminds us that there was a sign that was given to these wise men, and that brought them together to worship. The next couple lines say, The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger in all our trials, born to be our friend. Now, to me, this just uh, captures how incredible this is. The king of all kings, the leader of all leaders, the person who is going to be in charge of all things, was born in a lowly manger. Now, sometimes we just, when we hear the word manger, we think like, oh, that's the bed that Jesus was laid on. In reality, the manger was a box that animals ate out of. The great king of kings, the son of God, was put in a box that animals eat out of, and he came to be our friend. That is incredible. Jesus is such a humble king, and he wants us as friends. Certainly we serve Jesus, but we do so as friends of Jesus. The next line says, He knows our need 
to our weakness is no stranger. So Jesus has been human, so he gets us. He can actually relate to our struggles. God can relate to our struggles and understands what we've been through. Jesus experienced temptation. He experienced all the things that we experience, and so he knows our need. The last two lines of the verse say, Behold your king before him lowly bend. And then it repeats that, Behold your king before him lowly bend. So the second verse is promising a Messiah like we see with the shepherds. We have signs that point to Christ like the star pointing the wise men to Jesus. And so that Jesus is a king who is also our friend. And so together we bow down in worship to Jesus. So verse 3. This is the final verse and probably other than verse 1, the verse that most of us are familiar with because this is the more common verse that is done of the three verses. So um, this verse starts off saying, Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. So here Jesus is simply helping us live together in a more harmonious way. He's teaching us to just love one another and be at peace with one another. The next two lines say, chains, chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppressions shall cease. Earlier I mentioned how this verse was really resonant with the abolitionists of the pre, uh, pre-U.S. Civil War um, time when they were trying to get rid of the slave trade. It's a beautiful image because Jesus is setting the slave free. That's sometimes a spiritual thing in the sense that we are set free from our chains of sin. Sometimes it's also really literal as the slaves were set free once the Civil War um, came and the Emancipation Proclamation and all of that. So chains break when Jesus is present. Jesus is for the people who are marginalized and oppressed by society in any way. The next couple lines read, Sweet hymns of of joy, in grateful chorus raise we, let all within us praise his holy name. So again, Jesus is uniting us, teaching us to live in harmony, and so we respond in praise of Jesus. And then the last three lines go like this, Christ is the Lord, O praise his name forever, his power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. So verse three, kind of to sum it up, is simply that Jesus is helping us live in harmony. And so because of that, we respond in praise to God. So as a whole, this song is simply about celebrating a night that brings us hope after so long without hope. For years and years and years, the world was just in sin and brokenness. And suddenly on this night, there is hope. It's a hope that moves us to worship. We are pointed towards Jesus and together we worship. And because Jesus teach us, teaches us to live in harmony and to live in peace and set people free, again, we respond in worship. So this is kind of why I love this song, 
this is why I think it's important that we really think about what we're singing this Christmas because there is just such a beautiful, rich depth to some of this music. It expresses some of the deepest things that we feel around Christmas time, around the birth of Christ. So I hope that you give this song another listen and just listen through it and just think through the words thoughtfully. And if you have a different song that you like, do the same thing with that song. Just listen through it thoughtfully and say, what is this song really singing? Or what is the song really saying to me? What is it helping me to express and to worship? So that's this particular episode. That is Oh Holy Night and Why I Love It. And in the next few weeks, we'll hopefully be hearing from some others about their favorite Christmas carols and what they like about that. So thank you for joining me today, and I hope to see you again or hear from you again in the near future. God bless you all, and have a Merry Christmas.